I'd like to ask you please to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We'll begin this morning in verse 35. Mark, chapter 1, verse 35. Once you've located that, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into the synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come to the Word of God, it is our desire to hear from you, our Creator and God and King and Master. Speak to us, Lord, please. Give us instructions that we might know how to respond to you to do Your will, to please You. Transform us by the renewing of our minds through the Word of God. God, I pray that this wouldn't be just another religious gathering, but that You would powerfully, clearly speak to the heart of this people. We might be more like our Savior. Come now in these moments, O God. Have communion and fellowship with your people through the preaching of your word. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. As we've begun looking at the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has come on the scene with the full support of heaven to establish the kingdom of God on earth. He has been preaching and teaching about the kingdom, and He has called His first disciples, four fishermen, to follow Him and join Him in His work, kingdom work. And He's begun teaching. He spent the entire day teaching the people, and they were amazed at the authority of His words and the power of His works. And now as we come to these verses this morning, it is the next morning after Jesus' first full day recorded in Mark, His first full day of preaching and teaching and healing and casting out demons. And as we come to early morning on the very next day, as we read these five verses, what we see here is the priority of Jesus. Jesus is on mission. We know that already. We've, we've been talking about that. He's sent by heaven to establish the kingdom of God. But what I want you to see today as we look at these five verses is this. Jesus' mission dictate the priorities of His ministry. The mission He's been sent on by heaven is what dictates His priorities as He conducts His ministry. 
Now, I want to say this to you. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we talked about last week that He has called us to follow Him and to join Him in His work, to be on mission with Him. So His mission is our mission. The, the, the mission of the kingdom is not just the mission of Jesus, it's the mission of His disciples. We are about the work of the kingdom. Spreading the news of the kingdom, inviting people to come to know the king. And so we share Jesus' mission, which means we should share His priorities. Are you with me? If His priorities were dictated by His mission, then so our priorities should be dictated by our mission. The priorities of our ministry are driven by our mission. And in this passage, we see what those priorities are. And there are two primary priorities for those who are on mission. Kingdom work. We might call these kingdom priorities. And here's the first one I want you to see. There is the priority of prayer. We see this in verse 35. Mark's emphasis in this verse begins with Jesus rising early in the morning. Now, he could have just said that. Jesus got up early. But he doesn't. He says, in the early morning, while it was still dark. He, he don't want to just tell us it's early. He wants us to know it's very, very early. Sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., well before daylight. Jesus rises for the purpose of prayer. Mark's trying to show us the priority Jesus has on prayer. He gets up well before anyone else, well before daylight, to seek out communion with His Father. But notice also in verse 35, He gets up very early, still in the darkness hours, and He goes to a secluded place. This refers to somewhere that's unpopulated. No people around. Somewhere he can be alone with his father. You and I might call this his prayer closet. Remember what Jesus said? When you pray, go into your closet, shut the door. What's he saying? Get away from people. You don't want to be tempted to pray for the ears of men. You want to pray for the ears of God. So this is his prayer closet. He goes to a secluded place away from everyone else. So you can see his priority for prayer. It's, it's well before daylight. He goes away for the purpose of being alone to commune with his Father. And it says, he was praying there. The verb tense here is interesting. He doesn't say Jesus said a prayer or Jesus prayed. He uses a tense of the verb that indicates something Jesus did over a period of time. What he's telling us is Jesus was spending a significant amount of time praying. He prayed over a period of time. So in other words... His priority of prayer is seen in the, the hour of the day, the fact that He goes to be alone, and the fact that He dedicates a significant amount of time to this prayer. 
Here's the question we might ask. What's he praying about? Well, he doesn't say specifically, but the context is our best clue to understand what Jesus is praying about. So what's the context? What is Jesus doing before these verses? Well, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Doing the work of the ministry. Doing what the Father sent him to do. Calling disciples to come help him in the work of the ministry. What's he doing after this praying? You'll notice we see in a minute the first thing on his mind after he prays is to go preach the gospel. So so what is it that Jesus is praying about? He's praying about the mission. His prayer is focused on his mission work, on his ministry. I want you to think about something. When Jesus teaches us to pray using the Lord's Prayer, what's the priority of that prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. How does he start this prayer? Hallowed be your name. In other words, may the world see you and treat you for the holy God that you are. Thy kingdom come. May you rule and reign. Thy will be done. Right? His focus is on the kingdom work. The work of God being glorified. The work of God's rule being established on the earth. The work of God's will being done. That's the focus of all of his praying. That doesn't mean he doesn't pray for anything else but kingdom agenda. But that's the focus of his praying the majority of the time. And there's no doubt that this early morning, his focus is on the work that lay ahead of him. What's he doing? He, he's relying on his Father. Remember, he is God, but he's man. You remember? He's come to earth as a person. He's got a body, flesh and blood. He relies on God for the strength to do the work. He relies on God for the wisdom to do the work. He relies on God to give him specific direction to know what to do. He relies on God to give him the words to speak for the provision he needs for the work. He understands his absolute reliance on God to carry out the work of the mission. This is something we see Nehemiah demonstrate. Last year we studied the book of Nehemiah together. At every point throughout the story of Nehemiah, he prays. I don't know if you remember, Nehemiah has gone to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild the wall. Jerusalem is in ruins after the exile to Babylon. The wall of the city is crumbled and the people are in despair and shame. And Nehemiah begins when he hears of the terrible condition of the city and the people. The first thing he does is fall on his face before God in fasting and prayer. He prays again when he goes to the king asking for the king's permission to go to Jerusalem and rebuild. As he gets to Jerusalem, he's almost immediately confronted with opposition. And again, what does Nehemiah do? He prays. As the work begins to take off and begins to get done, 
This opposition is unceasing and they try to threaten the people doing the work and scare them. Once again, Nehemiah is on his knees. He's praying for strength for the people. He's praying for God to put a stop to the uh, attempts of the enemy to stop the work. What is he doing? Every situation that comes up in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is praying. From the beginning of the book to the end of the book, Nehemiah is praying. All through the work, for every need, at every point, Nehemiah is praying for the mission. Because he understands something that we must understand. Prayer is what fuels the work of the kingdom. Prayer is the gas in the tank that moves the mission forward. Listen, where there is no prayer to God, there is no power from God. And without God's power, the kingdom simply does not advance. I'm going to say that again. Where there is no prayer to God, there is no power from God. And where there is no power from God, the work does not advance. Do you remember in John 15 what Jesus said? Apart from me, you can do what? You can't do much. You can't do anything. Listen to me. Where there is no prayer, there will be no prosperity in the work of the kingdom. The greatest work, the hardest work required to see a move of God is prayer. It's it's not a great strategy that you need to advance the kingdom. It's It's not great intellect you need to advance the kingdom. It's not great skills and great talent you need to advance the kingdom. All that stuff is good. It's not a great advertising campaign that you need to advance the kingdom. It's not the latest technology you need to advance the kingdom. It's not games and gimmicks you need to advance the kingdom. What you need to advance the kingdom is the power of God and you will not have it without prayer. You won't have it. Jerry Falwell once said, I had the privilege of hearing Jerry Falwell preach in Jacksonville, Florida one time. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, all of our failures are prayer failures. Listen to me. It is good and right for us to pray for earthly concerns. We should. We're commanded to. Pray for our earthly needs and our earthly concerns. But the majority of our praying should be given to praying for things of the kingdom. Spiritual things. So, Brother Paul, can you prove that with the Bible? I can. Jesus taught us to pray, didn't He? I'm going to list the requests for spiritual needs, kingdom needs on this hand, and I'm going to show the prayers for earthly needs on this hand. 
Now this is the prayer Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from me. I need another finger on his hand. Six requests for spiritual things, things related to the kingdom. How many requests related to earthly things? One. You think there's a message in that? But look at our prayer list on the bulletin. What, what's the ratio? Earthly needs versus spiritual needs. They're all earthly needs. We spend more time praying to keep Christians out of heaven than we do get lost, keep Christians out of heaven than we do keep lost people out of hell. You know, we pray a lot for Christian folk to get well and not die, but we pray very little for lost people to be saved. Listen, listen to me, church. I, I want so much to see God do something really neat here. Don't you? Don't you, don't you want to see God do something that only He could take credit for? And I'm not just talking about blowing up great big numbers. I'm talking about a genuine work of God in the hearts of His people. Do something good for the glory of His name and for our own good. Listen to me, that will not happen if we do not give ourselves to prayer. If we don't give ourselves to praying spiritual things, praying for kingdom concerns, Praying for the holiness of God's people. Praying that God's people would have a passion for His Word. Praying that God's people would have the boldness to witness and talk to others about Jesus. Praying that we would shake off our complacency and apathy. Praying that spiritual concerns would become so much more important to us than earthly concerns. Praying that God would do something in us that would cause us to hunger for His glory above everything else. Listen, if we don't pray kingdom-related prayers, if we get caught up in only praying for earthly concerns, we're not going to see a move of God. Read the prayers of the Apostle Paul. What did he pray for? You want to know how to pray? Read the prayers of Paul. Read the prayers of Jesus. And begin to pray what you learn to pray in the Scripture. Oh, church, I wish you could understand this. We've we got to give ourselves to praying for a move of God. If we're ever going to see God do something, it'll be because we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. Prayer is where the power of the church is found. Why? Because God is the power source to the church. And God responds to prayer. How many of you know this scripture? Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, 
and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Is he telling us to do three different things? No. Ask, seek, knock are not three different things. He's telling us to do the same thing over and over and over and over. And he's promising us that if we will, ask and keep asking, he will answer. If we'll seek and keep seeking, we'll find him. If we'll knock and keep knocking, he'll open the door. if we'll pray for the right things and keep praying for the right things and give ourselves to praying for the right things and never stop praying for the right things and pray a lot with real passion for the right things, God will respond. Jesus' priority was prayer. Why? Because prayer drives, fuels the work of the kingdom. What's the other priority Jesus shows us in these verses? There's the priority of prayer and the priority of preaching. In verse 36, the, Jesus, uh, the, the disciples start looking for Jesus. Simon and Andrew and James and John, they wake up. Jesus is not there. He's gone off to somewhere, but they don't know where. And notice what it says. Verse 36, Simon and his companions searched for Jesus. You see this word searched? This word is sometimes used of hunting or tracking someone down. This was not a casual search. It's almost like they're a bit frantic. Where in the world did he go? And they're frantically looking for him. Why? Look at verse 37. Everyone's looking for you. They're kind of panicked because the next morning after this day of teaching and miracles, everybody's looking for Jesus and they don't know where he is, so everybody's looking at the disciples and they're kind of, where does he go? Why would he run off? I mean, we had such a big night yesterday, such a big day and a big night. His popularity is going to soar. And he needs to be here to keep this thing going. But Jesus has disappeared. And they don't really understand it. And so they're hunting him down. Jesus needs to be here to capitalize on his newfound popularity. Man, if he'll keep doing what he's been doing, these miracles and all, who knows how far this thing might go. But what does Jesus say? Verse 38. Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby. Let us go somewhere else. What? Why would you leave? Everybody's looking for you. I mean, this thing's just now taking off. You've just built a crowd and people are starting to really attach themselves to you and you're going to leave? This is not a good strategy, Jesus. What are you doing? There's something you have to understand. The people were not looking for Jesus because they were convinced He was the Christ, the Son of God. They weren't seeking Jesus out of a desire to commit their lives to Him. It wasn't faith that drove their search for Jesus. They wanted Him to perform. You get it? They wanted Him to perform. The miracles, the healings, 
casting out demons. They were pursuing Jesus for what they wanted him to do for them. They weren't drawn to the Savior. They were drawn to the show. You with me? It's not faith and repentance that drove them to seek Jesus. It's the miracle worker they were after, not a Messiah. That explains Jesus' reply in verse 38. Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. You see, the miracles were designed to give credibility to the message. We talked about this last week. The miracles were not intended just to cause people to awe and for Jesus to draw a crowd. No, they're supposed to say, hey, take notice. Recognize who I am and pay attention to what I'm saying to you. The miracles were designed to demonstrate the identity of Jesus and to cause people to take His message seriously and put their faith in Him. They were signs to show the people so they would see Him and listen to His preaching. Listen, the miracles were not to generate Jesus' popularity as a miracle worker. That's not the point. Jesus is on a mission to call people to repent and believe and become citizens of the kingdom of God. He was on a mission to establish the kingdom and call citizens to become part of God's kingdom by believing in Him. And when the miracles start to overshadow the message, it's time to move on. You may remember a story from... John chapter 6. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He and his disciples, it's, it's late, late, late night. And Jesus and his, his sends his disciples across to the sea, other side of the sea. Jesus goes up to pray and then he comes to them in the middle of the night. But the people are left on the shore and Jesus and His disciples cross over in a boat to the other side of the sea. The next morning, all the people wake up and Jesus is not there anymore. Where did He go? So they track Jesus down around to the other side of the sea. They finally find Him. What do you think Jesus said to them when they tracked Him down the next morning? Listen to His words. John 6, 26 and 27. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. You see what Jesus said? You're not looking for me because you saw miracles and you're convinced I'm the Son of God and you've come to put your faith in me. You're looking for me because you want another meal. You just want me to perform again. 
I fed you and, and you want me to do it again. He said, you're after the wrong kind of bread. What you should be seeking is eternal life. They should have tracked Jesus down, absolutely. But they should have tracked Him down to put their faith in Him. To, to receive eternal life, not to, so that He could perform again. You see what Jesus is fighting here? People to be drawn to the miracle and they miss the message. That's why Jesus wants to move on the next morning when the disciples are saying, this thing's just blowing up. Why would you leave? He says, because they're drawn to the popularity of a miracle worker, but I'm trying to preach the gospel. He wasn't here to draw a crowd. He was here to preach a message. The, the priority of the kingdom is preaching the message. Because what advances the kingdom is the gospel. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing what? Hearing the preaching of the gospel. Faith wasn't going to be born in these hearts by Jesus multiplying bread and fishes. That is to get them to listen to the preaching. The priority of the kingdom is preaching the gospel. That's how the kingdom advances. That's the strategy to advance the kingdom. You see a lot of churches in our day and time in America who have adopted a strategy, they're just doing anything they can to draw a crowd. But at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're like Miss America giving a speech in a string bikini. He'll draw a crowd, but ain't nobody heard a word. They ain't paying attention to what she said. They just there for the show. You with me? We could pull some kind of stunt to draw a lot of people, but that doesn't advance the kingdom. What advances the kingdom is the preaching of the gospel. Nothing else. That means not only do we have to pray and pray and pray some more for a move of God, we have to focus on getting the Word out. The Gospel. That's our strategy. Preaching from the pulpit. Passing out tracts. Telling our neighbors putting the messages on the, on the internet for people to access, getting the word out any way we can, trying to get others to come and sit under the preaching of the word of God. Our strategy is to pray and preach the gospel. That was the priority of Jesus. And if we're going to have any success in doing real kingdom work, that's going to be our strategy. Gimmicks are not going to work. Oh, you may draw a crowd, but listen to me. That's not our business. That's why Jesus said we can't stay here. we got to move on. All we're here is doing is drawing a crowd. We're not extending the gospel. He said it's time to go somewhere else to preach. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.21 God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached 
to save those who to save those who believe. It pleased God through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the world, but that's the tool God's given us to advance the kingdom, preaching. Preaching. Listen, here's the message today. Prayer and preaching are the priority of God's kingdom on earth. As long as God's kingdom remains on earth through the church, as long as we're left here in this day, this time, in this earth, our priority is God's kingdom is prayer and preaching. That's what drives the mission forward. Prayer and preaching. Prayer and preaching. Listen to me. We don't need anything else. There are some other things we can do. We'll talk about a little bit of that tonight. Some other things we can do that are helpful, maybe. But the only thing we have to do if we're going to advance the kingdom is pray and preach. If we don't do those two things, and I don't mean preach just anything. I mean we have to preach the Word of God, the true biblical preaching of the Word of God. And there's very little of it in our day. Listen to me, church. Oh, I hope you'll hear me. If we're not a praying church, I don't mean praying about Aunt Bessie's bunions. I mean if we're not a praying church, praying for kingdom agenda, spiritual things, salvation, praying for the preaching of God's Word, praying for the spiritual growth of our members, praying that we'll get the Word out. If we're not praying for spiritual things, we are dead in the water. I've been, I've been asking God to help me to see what I can do to help us to, to move in the direction. What can I do in our prayer meeting on Wednesday night to, to focus us toward praying for kingdom issues? How can I structure our, our Sunday morning prayer meeting at 9.15? More of you ought to come and be part of that. We need to be praying. Let's pray. Father, I am out of words. I hope that somehow you will communicate the truth of this text to us as a church and that it will move us to take action to give ourselves to prayer and preaching that we might truly do the work of the kingdom.